My name is Suzanne Vogel. I'm uh, the lead pastor, and I just want to, if you're here for the very first time this morning, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad you chose to join us this morning, and I know that it can be intimidating to walk into a new building, and um, we're just really glad you're here, whether you're online or in person. But I also want to, for those of you who are not here for the first time, just take a minute to say thank you. For those of you who are new, we are in the process. We've been combining two worshiping communities into one. I want you to imagine uh, the complexities of kind of two churches gathering together. And I am so grateful for the patience and the perseverance and the flexibility that so many in our congregation have exercised during this season. I know this has been hard. I know that it has uh, created just unknowns for all of us, and we're figuring out what it means to have uh, new seats. Uh, We're figuring out what it means to, you'll notice we have name tags because we're just learning how to introduce ourselves to each other. I know that uh, our projectors are not ideal. We're ordering new ones, but there's this little thing called a chip shortage. I don't know if you've heard of it, but you know, we're working on those things. And so I just want to, again, publicly say thank you. Thank you for the ways you have worked to worship in the midst of all the transition. And uh, I'm very grateful. And then I have one other housekeeping note. Um, our On behalf of the deacons, I want to invite you next week to join us for lunch. Our uh, Two of our missionaries, Phil and Olivia Eichel, are going to be here from Honduras. And after service, uh, if you're interested, you'll head up to the balcony, and the deacons are going to provide a light lunch, and then we'll have a chance to hear from Phil and Olivia about their work in Honduras. And so that's open to anyone. We'd love to have you stay. All right, so before I jump in, how about we pray together for just a minute? God, I thank you that indeed you are the head of your church, that all glory and honor belong to you. And God, we thank you that when we gather together, whether online or in person, we're reminded again of who you are and who we are. God, forgive us for the ways that we lose sight of that. We forget the majesty and the holiness of who you are, and we forget that we are loved and seen, and we act in ways that are less than what we were designed for. Forgive us. And I pray this morning, as we continue now in worship, that your word would come alive again that you would help us in our frailty and you would stir within us again in your glory and in your name we pray amen so you may or may not know this but in college i was an english major which means i had to read a lot of books books that i probably wouldn't have ever chosen to read but one of my favorites became uh, a book by a woman named Gertrude Stein. It's called Three Lives. You've probably never heard of it. Now, I have to tell you, I did not start out liking this book. One of the kind of features of Stein's writing is that she uses repetition a lot, a lot. And initially, that was super annoying to me. I mean, 
I would start to think, come on already, Gertrude. Like, do we have to use the word power four times in a single sentence? Do I need to send you a thesaurus, right, as only a 19-year-old English major can do? Uh, But I would get frustrated and think, come on, we need some variety. But then I would notice she would use that word in an unusual way or in a different place than I wasn't expecting, and she would do it again and then again, and... Here's the thing. I started to realize that every time she repeated that word, she was digging a deeper well of meaning for it. And by the end of the story, it was like she was using these simple words, but they were heavy with meaning. I remember literally getting to the end of one of the books, and it was a five word sentence, and I read it, and I cried, because it held so much meaning in it, because of how diligently she had worked to look at that word from various angles. And here's the thing. I share that because I think the same thing is true of the Bible. It's why it's so much richer to actually read chunks together, because you start to see the repeated words and the phrases, and you start to see the bigger picture. And in the book of Mark, this is particularly true. We see that Jesus is the master teacher. He takes these ideas and these concepts, and he keeps inviting us and his disciples to look at him over and over and over and over and over again from different angles. And if you've been following along for the last six weeks, that might be a little annoying to you by now. I mean, we've been living in two chapters of Mark. And I could imagine that some of you are sitting there thinking, come on already, Jesus. Do we have to talk about power again? Can't we get some variety already? I mean, surely you could say some mean things about those people over there. But instead, Jesus keeps inviting us to look at what it means to save our lives from all kinds of different angles. And this isn't an accident. Because I believe that Jesus wants, by the time we near the end of our story, that we might be able to live in ways that save our lives. So this morning, I want you to open your Bible to guess where? Mark 10. We're going to start up at Mark 10 verse 32 and we're going to read through 35. We're going to pick up right where we left last week so that you can hear again these repeated words and phrases. Now just a note, the lectionary actually starts us at verse 35, which is where the slides are going to start. But I wanted to actually back us up just a couple more verses, and because I did not get that to the tech people by Friday, uh, you'll have to listen to me read them, and then we'll pick up together at verse 35. So if you want to open your Bible and follow along, we'll start there. Now they, the disciples and Jesus, were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. 
Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at the right or at the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So sure enough, here we are again. Jesus is telling about his impending betrayal and crucifixion again. The disciples are jockeying for position again. And Jesus has to clarify what real glory and leadership in the kingdom looks like again. It's almost as if we humans hear only what we want to hear. It's almost as if we humans are hardwired to want glory and power. It's almost as if we humans are really slow learners. I mean, if this were an episode of a TV show, wouldn't you expect that after James and John make their audacious request of Jesus, He would turn slowly, look directly into the camera, break the fourth wall, and say, really? We're back here again? See, that's what I would do. I would want to look at these guys and ask where they get off making such a brash request. Anything you want? Do you, I look like I just fell off a turnip truck? truck. It reminds me of when my kids were little. Any of you remember this, right? And your kids would come in and they're like, can I have anything I want for dinner? Or you'd walk into a store and once in a while my kids would say, can I have one toy? And then they'd bring you the most expensive thing, right? It's that, it's that posture. And when Jesus asks what they really want and they tell him, right? Basically they're calling shotgun, on the two places of honor next to Jesus. Well, I'm offended on Jesus's behalf. No wonder the rest of the disciples are kind of ticked off in this moment. But before I or we maybe get too righteously righteously angry at Jesus, on Jesus's behalf, maybe we better look in the mirror for a second. See, I think maybe it was, uh, let's say yesterday, that I prayed a prayer that probably sounded a lot like, Jesus, I'd like you to give me whatever I want. I mean, I long for recognition 
for a sense of importance and attention for all my hard work. We all do. See, I said it before and I will say it again. I think it's like we're hardwired to want glory and power. The Reverend Martin Luther King calls this our drum major instinct. Any band geeks in the house? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. I got both hands up. Here's the thing. It's that desire to be out front, a desire to lead the parade, a desire to be first. You see it in kids, right? Have you ever been to a poll where kids are Grandpa, Grandma, Mom, Dad, watch me, watch me, watch me as I do my 75th cannonball into the pool. It's in us. See, and we see it in adults. I mean, we like to be praised for good things that we've done. And if you don't believe me, pay attention to how you feel when somebody else gets the credit for something you did. We want to be the captain of the ship. We want to have recognition. We want to lead the parade. And here's the shocking part this morning. Jesus does not seem mad about that. He does not seem mad at their request. He doesn't rebuke them for asking. Instead, he says something that I think sounds a little bit like this. You want to be great? You want to feel important? Do you want to be significant? Good. I hardwired you that way. That's a good instinct if you do not pervert it or distort it. But here's the thing. You want to be great? Then start serving. If you want to feel important, then start making other people feel important. If you want significance, then start giving your time and your skills and your money away. Glory comes not from wealth and power and position and status, but from humility. So by all means, aim to be first. In fact, I'm looking for people who are going to be the first in line to love the person who annoys them. I'm looking for people who will be first in line to make sure that child gets fed and has a roof over their head. I am looking for people who will be first in line to make sure everybody has equal opportunity. Lead the parade, but make sure that parade leads to the kingdom of God and not to your own status and glory. And do you know what I love about this kind of greatness? I mean, anyone can be great because anyone can serve. Here's the thing. The way the world defines greatness, there's only a small handful of people who can be great, right? You have to have superior intelligence, or you have to have superior athletic ability, or you have to have a superior camera and know exactly the right angle to get that picture taken, right? But the way Jesus defines greatness, well, here's the thing. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to have the latest, greatest toys. You don't have to be photogenic to serve. You don't have to have all of the things to serve. To quote Reverend King again, all you need is a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant.
Now you might be thinking, well, okay, Suzanne, that sounds pretty, but it's not true. We live in a world that is harsh and where power is required to make important things happen. But I want to counter for a minute by inviting you to think about Jesus. Here's a man who, from the beginning of time, shared fellowship and was part of the Godhead. And then he was born to a peasant woman in a scandalous situation. His family became refugees on the run for their lives. He grew up in a sketchy town where nobody expected anything of value to come from. He eventually started preaching, but here's the thing. He never wrote a book. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never had wealth. He never traveled the world. He had none of the traditional markings that we would call greatness. But he kept serving. And specifically, he kept serving the people on the edges. He kept serving the people who were the least, the outcasts, the losers, the sick, and the dying. And pretty soon, he was at odds with the authorities because that kind of service exposes. It exposes the need for power. It exposes privilege. And by the time it was all done, the one who spoke the universe into being was betrayed by a friend, tortured on a cross, and killed in the most humiliating way. He couldn't even afford his own grave. It was bought by a rich friend. And yet, 20 centuries later, there is no one person who has affected the world more than Jesus. No poet, no politician, no Nobel winner. And if you think not even just about individual lives who have been transformed, but the way that that greatness has expressed itself out in cultures. Across time, orphanages have been built because believers like you and like me said greatness means laying our lives down. Hospitals have been built. Sex trafficking has been combated and worked to bring to an end. Because of people who follow Jesus, the world is a different place. And I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This week, I had the privilege of seeing that kind of greatness up close a couple of different times. The first was in a conversation with a man who has been taking care of his wife. She has advanced Alzheimer's and has long since forgotten his name. In fact, many days she's she's forgotten how to talk. And most recently, her legs have forgotten how to stand and how to walk. I asked him how he's managing this new reality. And he said, I help get her out of bed, I lift her, and then I hold on to her until her legs remember to bear the weight. Friends, that's greatness. This is a man who in his day was a force to be reckoned with, a man the world would call great, 
But he said to me simply, caring for my wife has made me the man I was created to be. In choosing to serve, he has become great in the eyes of God. And then I watched our own Deb Conlon. Some of you know Deb. She was a successful businesswoman, part owner of a company, and two years ago she volunteered to help us when our business manager left. A year later, she decided to leave her company and retire early so she could work for us, and I'm going to put this in big air quotes, part-time. Now, you need to know this woman has not worked part-time in at least nine months. And the last six months in particular, as we've worked to combine our campuses, have been brutal. Because there were a thousand things behind the scenes that needed to happen so that we could show up on a Sunday morning. If you call today, the phones, both the phones, will ring here because of Deb Conlon. That sounds like it shouldn't be that big a deal. It took five hours on hold and multiple phone calls back. The woman uh, would walk, and then she'd go out to her car and charge her phone while she waited, then she'd go and she'd walk more. That happened because of Deb. There are new roofs at both of our campuses paid for largely by insurance because Deb. That organ is here this morning because Deb and Barb. This beautiful paint job, Deb. She could be playing golf and getting manicures and going on vacations and she would have every right to do so. But the impact of her service to us this morning, well, it's tangible. And it's been beautiful to watch her greatness. I could go on and on. I could talk about the teacher who shows up every morning to invest in kids, even though she's worn out and weary. I could point to volunteers who show up every Wednesday night to uh, bless our kids and our students. I could talk about the father who's working from home so that his wife can live into her calling. I could mention the student who gave up his entertainment money for the month to make sure another friend could pay rent. I could talk about a congregation full of people who gave more than $20,000 in 10 days so that refugees from Afghanistan and people who were devastated in Haiti could have new lives. This is where you find important people, significant people, people who are discovering greatness. Friends, this morning, Jesus' invitation is not to be in a power position, to look down on others, but to be the shoulders other people stand on. To be the outstretched arm that helps make space so that others can join in. To be the person who's happy to be a little bit smaller so that someone else can be a little bit bigger. Jesus needs you to want to be great. Jesus needs you to choose to be significant. Jesus needs people who will be first in line to give their lives away. Let's pray.
God, I thank you that because of who you are, those instincts in us to be great can now find meaningful expression. And I pray that even now you would keep reminding us to resist that urge to look out only for ourselves, to grab for power, to look for ways to lord it over others. And I pray instead that you would remind us that it's in the laying down of our lives that we actually find them. God, you are so good, and your invitation to a life that is abundant and full comes to all of us today. And we just worship you, and we thank you for not leaving us in our uh, brokenness and fear. And would you now make us vessels of your peace and your presence? And all God's people said, Amen.